It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Culture Cast. I'm Chris Stashu, and I am joined by my good friend, the one and only Mr. Mike White. Cropsy's going to get you. The host of the Projection Booth, everyone's favorite podcaster, Mr. Mike White. Everyone's mine. You're mine. Aww. I know thank who you. I. I know who I am not the favorite of, and that would be Mike Doherty. Uh, I may have made some comments about Godzilla, King of the Monsters, on Twitter that drew the ire of the director, and to that I say, your movie is unsubtle, and it does have, go- and it does paint Godzilla as a Jesus lizard. So come on, man, take some, take criticism in stride. Slap it off. Don't throw me in a rude bin with the other internet trolls. Huh. But in regards to Cropsy, he is going to get me. And he got you, Mike. He sure did. So it's Jess Byer June. She decided that let's talk about summer camp horror movies and no better summer camp horror movie to talk about than The Burning, a film that, for all intents and purposes, wasn't seen in its full form until 2017 when it was released in its uncut version. So let's talk a little bit about The Burning. This summer, if you're planning to go camping, don't. If you're looking forward to midnight swims, don't. Sneak on back to the campsite. Get some matches. Build us a hot fire. Don't be wrong. And if you're thinking about being with someone where no one can see you, don't. Because this summer, a legend of terror isn't just a campfire story anymore. They say he smashed his way through the bunk room door, just a mass of flames. Burned Cried out. I will return. I will have my revenge. on whatever he can catch. Right now, he's out there watching, waiting. Who's What happened one summer five years ago is about to happen again. And again. And again. The Burning. So, 
film is directed by Tony Malum. I really don't want to say who wrote it. Like, I just, I don't. I really don't, Mike. You gotta do it. I know. This film has the stink of the Weinsteins on it. Uh, specifically All Harvey. over the place. All over the place. I, I want to say it's in the opening credits. It's created by Harvey Weinstein. Great, thank you. Moving on. Uh, and also, there, I believe there is some controversy regarding this film, uh, even as far back as 81, with Harvey Weinstein pulling his quid pro quo shit then as well. Um, something about his behavior. She, One of the assistant product, production assistants was essentially harassed by him. So, sh- shocking, question mark? Mm. Uh, yeah, if you're surprised by that, uh, you shouldn't be. The, uh, the film stars a lot of folks whose names you are going to recognize. Um, Jason Alexander, yes, Costanza from Seinfeld. Uh, Holly Hunter in like a pretty, you know, blink and you miss it scene. And Fisher Stevens. Completely unrecognizable to me other than his voice. Wait, Fisher Stevens is? Yeah. Really? I mean, once I heard his voice, then I was like, Oh shit, that's Fisher Stevens. I'll tell you what I know him from. <laughs> he is Sh- short circuit? Nah, you know, he's Iggy in the Super Mario Brothers movie. Oh, okay. Which so, I still haven't seen. Well, maybe one of these days I'll I'll make you watch it. I'll ask you to be like, we'll be doing this on the podcast, and you can't say no. <laughs> no, I would never do that to you. Uh but I, I don't know. The the other the other kind of actor in this movie that I recognize, but I'm a huge fan of the movie, is Brian Backer from Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Yeah. Who's got such a great look to him. Yeah. I mean, he's great. And, you know, Fast Times at Ridgemont High was kind of, other than Police Academy 4, kind of his, like, big break. Uh, He plays Rat in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. One of the, I would say, ostensibly one of the main characters of the movie. And he's great in that film. And he's pretty good in this movie. The, The kind of character that he's saddled with isn't great. Is he supposed to be a red herring? I guess so. So the plot of the movie is a former summer camp caretaker gets burned alive and then he Who comes back. Who is a dead ringer for Chris Kattan to me. Yeah, right? Uh, and he gets burned alive, but he's, you know, he's still alive, but he's just burned beyond recognition and due to a prank by some, 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 uh, some camp goers. And then a couple of ne'er do wells. Yeah. Some ne'er do wells. And then five years later, he comes back after being in the hospital for five years, he comes back and goes on a rampage at the same summer camp. And he wants to just kill as many summer camp kids as possible. So you think until the end of the film where there's a little bit of a twist, not, not really a twist, but a little bit of kind of a reveal as it were. So Mike, I'm assuming this is the first time you'd seen this film. What did you think of, of Jess's first choice for Jess Byer June, the burning? Well, I don't want to correct you, but actually the initial burning takes place at camp Blackfoot. And later on, he goes to camp Stonewater. So there are two different camps in this movie. Sure. I mean, does it really matter, though? No, <laughs> I guess it, it doesn't. doesn't. Right. Like, with the reveal, it doesn't really matter, right? No. Even though I guess Todd goes to both camps. I guess he, he swings either way. Either Blackwater or Stone whatever. Right. Uh, yeah, this was a first-time watch for me. I had heard about this movie for a long time because, for whatever reason, even though I still haven't seen any other than Freddy vs. Jason and Jason X. I haven't seen any of the Friday the 13th movies, but I've seen documentaries about slasher films, and this one usually gets lauded in slasher movies. What a great movie this was. It feels like there are things that are missing from it, even though I 
you were saying we watched like the full version, it feels like there were little deaths when it came to how this movie got put together. And I could be completely off base because it just doesn't feel like it's an artistic whole. Like I was reminded a lot of like, um, like a Jallo film with the way that Cropsey wears his black gloves and we've got that great score from uh, Rick Wakeman, which reminds me a lot of the score that, um, who was it, Keith Emerson did in Inferno. Um, so I'm just like, okay, this is pretty cool. Uh, and, but And then we've even got like a moment, like when he picks up the prostitute after he gets out of uh, the hospital, I was like, oh, this is very, uh, Michael Powell is very uh, peeping Tom. But then there are other moments where I'm just like, okay, yeah, this doesn't really fit together it's like it feels like half the movie's very artistic and the other half is just kind of schlocky yeah that's the the strange thing about this movie is the kind of delineation between i wouldn't even say the first and second half of the movie because it's essentially the first 20 minutes of the movie and then the rest of the movie because the first 20 minutes is like really stylish and interesting and then there's like bits of it like you said throughout but it is just a slasher movie with a lot of really recognizable folks in it. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just saying that the idea is not particularly unique. So much so that a film that we still may talk about, probably not though, but a film that ended up getting kind of thrown around and not released as quickly or in the form that it was going to be released initially, Madman, uh, you know, that film almost was like a ripoff of this one because the idea is so ununique. You know, Slasher is at a summer camp and he wants to come and kill all the teenagers. I mean, you know, like you said, Friday the 13th, pretty much, you know, that's, that's the whole gist of the first couple ones. Right. I, like you, have not seen any of the Friday the 13th films either. If you are surprised by that, I am too. Uh, the only one I have seen is Freddy vs. Jason as well. So, uh, the, the thing about this movie that I was not disappointed by, but kind of surprised by was, it just, it, like you said, it feels like things are missing and the conclusion of the film is so lackluster. It is shockingly yeah. disappointing in a way I was not expecting. And the reveal is... The reveal feels like it came from a different movie. Yeah. And like I said, I, I mean... Or it was just tacked on at the end because they're like, we need to have some way that this all ties together. Yeah, I kept thinking that our loser character was going to be the killer because he keeps getting picked on. But then as I'm watching it, I'm like... There's no way he can be because he's seeing these murders. He's, you know, someplace else when the murders are taking place. But I was like, is that going to stop it from trying to tell me that he's the murderer? So I don't know. I was almost too distracted by him, like being this weird voyeur character. Yeah, it, it doesn't make any sense because, like you said, if, if that's what they were going for, then don't have a killer like Cropsey in the background. Right. Because you can't red herring in a movie where you show us the villain being burned at the beginning of the movie. Like, that's not how this works. Yeah. It's just, it realistically, you can do it where you don't know the villain, and you haven't followed them from before when they get to the camp, but you can't do it in this film. You just can't. Yeah, because it, it, it is weird to include that pre-credit sequence, and then have that same exact shot of the hospital with the five years later, and then that initial murder of the prostitute. And I'm just like, Okay. All right. Yeah. So like you said, we know who this guy is. There's no way that he's a different person. And then that they tell the story at the campfire later on. I was like, okay, had they cut out the beginning of this movie and started it at the camp, you know, five years later, 
I think the reveal of the campfire story would have made it more interesting and would have said, like, are they bringing the, you know, are they kind of conjuring up this character by discussing it at the campfire? Well, that's what Madman is. Madman okay. is literally that idea of they bring him up, the story ends up conjuring the villain. That's what Madman is. Right. I mean, even if, like, we had seen people being murdered beforehand, then it would have been like, ooh, you know, is this, a, is he really a story or does he exist? Or, yeah, I think that would have added more of a supernatural element to it rather than what they ended up with, where it was very, very apparent, like, this is a real thing. This is happening. Yeah, and the the lack of not mystery but the lack of anonymity with the character is a little disappointing because a lot of these films are predicated on you don't know who the killer is mm-hmm. and then there's this big reveal at the end and oh shit it's mrs Voorhees. and this is it's just cropsy okay hey, it's just me hey how you doing i'm cropsy so by the way the the cropsy urban legend was covered in a film called cropsy i don't know if you've seen it or not where they don't even mention the burning well, hey man, <laughs> that was their choice. <laughs> that was their choice. <laughs> Not yeah, they don't mention the burning at all. I don't think they needed to. No, but you would think like this story is so popular they even based a movie on it, right? And I they, don't know. They literally call the character Cropsy in right. this movie. It's spelled differently than the way it's spelled in. In that movie, I want to say there's no S or there's no E in this movie. And in Cropsy, the film by Joshua Zeman um, and Barbara Brancaccio, I think is her name. uh, That's Cropsy, S-E-Y. But that's the whole thing that talks about, you know, the Cropsy character and how he haunted the children of upstate New York. But yeah, it's kind of weird because this movie was made in 81. Right. Uh, you know, a- a- another positive for this movie is that it it does have work done by Tom Savini. Yeah, I mean, the effects are nice. Yeah, the when effects that, are great. When the scissors go into that prostitute's side at the beginning, I was just like, oh, that's a, that's a really nice effect. And yeah, some of the murders are done very well. What's up with our main character? I mean, so we've got the nerd character, and then we've got it's the- Brian hunk, Backer's character. Right, Alfred. And then we've got Brian Matthews' Todd. And Todd just- it's like anything takes this guy down. Like he gets glancing blow from Cropsy and he's down and then, you know, he's pretending to be out. And then later on, he, you know, falls off when the, uh, uh, the, the mining cart, the very convenient mining cart almost, you know, get, uh, crashes into him and he gets knocked out again for a few seconds. It's just like, dude, you know, I'm like expecting somebody has to sit there with like, you know, AB, AB, AB trying to get him to have power back and, get him back up off of you know to his feet yeah well and the other the other negative another negative with the film is the character of todd is completely one-dimensional yeah i yeah, like a lot of the, i actually like a lot of the characters in this movie which again that should be a testament to the quality of this movie if i actually care about the summer camp goers because a lot of these summer camp movies they don't give you a reason to care right that's yeah that, that's not something, and that's just horror movies in general, especially slasher films. They don't give you any reasoning to care about the characters that are, po- you know, possibly just going to be ground up and spit out by the killer. And in this film, I cared about them because they're actually given a fair amount of characterization. However, Brian Matthews as Todd is one of the weaker characters in the movie. Right. 
Yeah, I think, you know, Jason Alexander brings it as Dave, Larry Joshua as Glazer, the real dickhead of the group. I I mean, I I knew him enough to hate his guts, and I really appreciated that. Hey, you want to go for a swim with me? No, you fucking creep. No. A thousand (laughs) times no. Yep. Yeah, and who was that guy? Uh, Eddie, the guy that uh, gets accused of murdering the girl as well. You know, she takes off, or she allegedly takes off, but she was actually killed by Cropsy. I liked him. Uh, yeah, there were. I appreciated these characters. Yep, I appreciated Fisher Stevens as Woodstock. I'll tell you what, though, uh, and let's talk about a scene specifically. The scene where you've got essentially the, these are the campers that are sent um, back to try on a makeshift raft to try to get back to camp to let everyone know, hey, by the way, we've lost our boats and we need someone to come get us so we can get back to camp. It's like Woodstock, Eddie, a couple other characters. I think Fish is one of them. That like they're not really. I mean, Woodstock is kind of the only one, along with Eddie, who's really given any characterization out of that group. Some of the other ones just kind of have like pithy one-liners, and then they're all just fucking murdered. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's pretty cold-blooded. Yeah. Like literally, Cropsy is just hiding in a raft or a canoe, and he just pops up and murders all of them. And it's a it's a great scene because th- it is kind of so unexpected, and really, it's it's a savage killing but at the same time you just lost like half the characters you care about right and that's a bummer it is but at least we have stakes in this movie at least it's not like they're all you know just dead meats right which is you know again a huge a huge complaint i have with a lot of these slasher movies and i'm a huge fan of horror i mean horror is my favorite genre but even as a fan of the genre you need to be kind of aware of the things that the genre tends to try to get away with which is not giving us characters to care about and in this film like you said jason alexander is great a lot i mean a lot of the characters are great but it's so weird to see jason alexander with hair right and not like a not like a wig hair like hair right hair. Yeah, this isn't pretty woman hair. This is real hair. Even though it's like, that hair just looks like it's kind of hanging on for dear life. Well, and here's the thing. So, this film came out in 81. Jason Alexander did not act again until 86. Wow. Yeah. So, this is, you know, this is his first role. And he's great. He is absolutely one of the standouts of the film. Without a doubt. I, I would say uh, him wanted and, to spend some time in the theater. Yeah. I would say him and Fisher Stevens are the big standouts of the movie. Oh, yeah. Completely. But, again, it just comes back to when I think about slasher movies, especially ones set at summer camps, that of which there are a fair amount, and we're going to be talking about them this month, primarily, a lot of it lives and dies by the final girl and the villain. And I did not really find the villain in this film to be that interesting. And there is no final girl, really. Well, I mean, you know. You think Alfred's the final girl? (laughs) I'm not going to say he's not. I mean, yeah, he kind of plays that part yeah he plays that part and he plays the damsel in distress but he does yeah he plays the hero in distress which is uh, not a hero i mean a a female character hero as well but i guess i don't know what you would classify it as man in distress yeah i mean it's distress practically tied to the railroad tracks yeah i mean yeah pinned you know pinned in the mine by his arms Mm -hmm. i just i didn't find i just i don't know i just wasn't really i wasn't impressed by cropsy as a villain and his like because every you know every slasher has kind of their tool of choice you know freddie has the the glove jason has the machete michael has the kitchen knife and his are garden shears well, the garden shares once he figures that out, because before that he wants uh, to use whatever uh, scissors. Well, aren't scissors? <laughs> Wait, hold on. 
Aren't scissors just smaller garden shears? They're very small garden shears, yes. Okay, so... I mean, in a pinch, you can use some scissors. But effectively, he uses scissors or larger scissors as his killing tool in this movie. Yeah. Scissors or larger scissors. Right. Which, I mean, again, look, it just, that doesn't leave room for a lot of um, creativity with the kills. Right. There are some cool kills, like when he kills the kids on the boat, he slashes, you know, uh, one of their heads open, one of the female characters, he slashes their head open. He cuts Fisher Stevens' fingers off, which you knew had to happen at some point, especially when you've got a, you know, scissor-like item. But I don't know. I mean, how did you feel about Cropsey's the villain? And like, I I felt almost more sorry for him than anything else, because that's kind of what it felt like they were going for. Yeah. No, I totally felt sorry for the guy, because it's like, again... They don't show him being a jerk or anything at the beginning. The poor guy is just asleep when we first see him. We don't hear until they're telling the story around the campfire that he was anything other than a decent guy. And, and then it's even all then, conjecture. Right. Even that, right? I mean, it's yeah, just, exactly. Who's telling the story? One of the people who lit him on fire. You just exactly right. So it's like, what are we doing here, guys? Um, yeah, I mean, had he been a, just a real piece of shit and been, like, hitting on the girls at the camp or even worse and just, you know, really deserved, not that anybody deserves to be lit on fire, but had he been a jerk, then okay, cool. Then, you know, light him up. Let's do it. Yeah, and that, again, I think that just goes back to the writing in this film is I feel like it's just, it's certain parts of it are well-written, but then other parts are severely lacking. And the the villain motivation is definitely one of them. And then the reveal at the end, I feel like, is is completely inane. Yeah. It's, it's, it is, it's, it feels so stupid that now we're just finding this out and now the character's just realizing it? Like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, right. So the 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 big reveal at the end of the film ends up being that Brian Matthews was one of the campers who helped prank Cropsy at the beginning of the film at Camp Blackfoot and lit him on fire. But we don't find that out until the last 10 minutes of the movie, which normally is fine, but it's almost like he didn't remember either. Right. Yeah, it's revealed to him when it's revealed to us. <laughs> and it's like, what the fuck like yeah what is happening here like that's so hokey that is so hokey and so bizarre that i i honestly can't comprehend that that is that that is what they went with for yeah the big reveal. Yeah, it's pretty strange. Like, they could have shown it... I mean, and he was even the one telling the Cropsy story around the campfire. Right. So, maybe... I, I just thought, it's so weird. And it's... Look, I get it, it's at the end of the movie, you're trying to give us this big revelation, but, like I said, it's almost like he is... He, too, is remembering that he is part of the reason Cropsy is after him. Right. And so, I guess, is it is it that Cropsy has been after him and only him this whole time? I wouldn't think so. I mean, it seems like he could have taken him out a lot easier. Right. That's what I don't get. Like, so Cropsy's motivation is then just he wants to kill campers. Right. Not that he wants to kill one of the people that happened to be there. So Todd just happened to be where Cropsy was attacking? Yeah, I mean, because he doesn't go after the other people. I don't even know why Cropsy goes back to the camp. Well, and again, like you said, like you corrected me at the beginning, it's not even the same camp. Right, 
Right. So either it's one of two things. Either he does go looking for Todd, who forgot that he had anything to do with it to begin with, or he just happens to, plot convenience, wander into a summer camp where Todd is a counselor. Right. (sighs) Pick one or the other, because neither one honestly works. No, they don't. Right. Well, not in the way it's told in this film, that's for sure. Right. And I feel a little bad, you know, just not absolutely 100% loving this film, because I know this is a dear film to a lot of people, but it's just like, I'm sorry, guys, coming in at this point in the game, I'm just like, eh, I'm not I'm not necessarily buying it. No, I mean, again, like you said, I mean, it's, it's one of those films that it's taken a very long time for us to really get a release of the film that is, quote-unquote, the full version of it. Right. Um... It was released, I want to say Shout Factory released their version of it in 2013. And the the print that was released in 2007 was the first time that it was ever on DVD. And that was the uncut version. So mm. I misspoke earlier. It wasn't 2017. It was 2007 when it was released on DVD. And that was the first time the uncut version had been released. Even though it was labeled as the R-rated version. Mm. But yeah, it's, it's okay. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's just okay. Right. It's fun. It's goofy. But a lot of the stuff that I was... A lot of things I was hoping for get a little muddled, because it doesn't have a very memorable villain. It has some kills, but there's no, you know, Jason X, Jason picking up someone in a sleeping bag and smashing him against the tree. It's okay. He just wants his machete back. Right. Yeah. That's it. I actually forgot. I have seen Jason X, but nobody considers that canon because that movie's awful. Oh, it's one of the best movies I've ever seen. Just like Leprechaun in space. Exactly. Uh, And, you know, you've got stuff like, um, welcome to prime time, bitch. Like, there's nothing like that in this movie. There's just not. And that's the biggest disappointment is I was hoping for something that would stand out as iconic. And yeah, it's got work by Tom Savini. Yeah, it's got a lot of these kind of young actors before they were famous, but there's a lot of problems. Yeah. But I'll tell you what, though, it is, it's not as bad as some other summer camp movies that I've seen. It's not as bad as some other horror movies. I mean, it's, I think it's just average. It's just average. But I can see why people like it a lot. Because, I mean, again, if you went to summer camp in the 80s, this probably has a special place in your heart as like, yo, yo, I I can sympathize. Like, I was there, like, I was there kind of thing. You know what I mean? So it's like time and Yeah, I lit a guy on fire. Oh, wait, I probably shouldn't admit that. (laughs) Right, yeah. It's got a, it. It it's definitely evokes a time and place, and that is the uh, that's the other positive. Mm. Uh, so, what would you give the film out of five? Uh, I'd give it, I don't know, two and a half, three. Yeah, I would give it a three. It's also edited by Jack Shoulder, so yeah. there's that. Yeah, yeah. I think this was around the time he was working for them, working for uh, Miramax, and um, that was the hidden. Was that a Miramax film? It's been a long time. Um, I want to say New Line, but no. that doesn't seem right. No, it's New Line. Because, I mean, don't forget, Jack, okay. Sh- Jack Shoulder's second film was A Nightmare on Elm Street 2, The Gayest of Nightmares. Oh, that's right. And that was, obviously, you know, the house that Freddy built is New Line, so. Right. Yeah. But I want to say he was editing tr- a lot of trailers at this point in his career. Yeah, that sounds yeah. good. He's a nice guy. I really like Jack Shoulder. But he edited this film, so he's kind of cutting his teeth in 81, four years before he makes 
the gayest nightmare. And that's not a knock at the movie. It's literally insanely gay. It is, but not that there's anything wrong with that. No, it's just hilarious when you watch interviews in something like Never Sleep Again that they're like, we didn't we didn't realize. It's like, what? Yeah, I the asked them where, about the that. Where the guy's ass getting whipped in the showers. You right. didn't realize that was gay? He- he didn't figure that one out, huh? Or when Bob Shea is wearing, like, a leather daddy outfit, you didn't realize this was gay? Yeah, I I call bullshit on that one. I, I'm with you. Especially, like, the, the, I forget what the guy's name is who wrote the script. And he's like, I didn't see any of it. It's like, maybe is it because you can't see the forest through the trees type thing? Like, David Chaskin, was it just, you just, you wrote it, and it didn't sound like this on paper, and then when you saw it in the theaters, you're like, oh, oh, that? But not what I was expecting. Not at all. Mm-hmm. So, but uh, let's take a break, and we'll play a preview for the next Culture Cast. Every year, the finalists for the Miss Cheerleader USA contest travel to this secluded camp. Hey, there is no going back. For some, it will be the crowning achievement of their lives. I'm going to win that queen contest. Nerves are on edge. There's something eating at everybody, right? Ever since we've been here, it's never a good night. Jealousies are exposed, and hatreds explode. This year, something evil has come over the contestants. She shows them to kill her. The instructors. You're a mascot, not a human. The judges. And the hired help. I hope you die. Something is about to make them all victims of... Cheerleader camp. Start with Allison. She's so fine. The look in her long or you'll go blind. Next is Pam. She comes out with a bam. And we'll tell you this, she ain't no sham. Next is Bonnie. She acts kind of funny. Steal your heart, but not your money. Can't forget Teresa. She's got what it takes. Putting her on this team was no mistake. Last is Lori. This is her story. She's our gator. You'll see her later. Betsy Russell, Leif Garrett, Lucinda Dickey, Laurie Griffin. We gotta walk out of here. It's at least 40 miles. Finally, something to die for. Cheerleader Camp. That's right, on the next Culture Cast, I'm going to be joined by my good friend and yours, Mr. Mike White, our friend Father Malone, to talk about Cheerleader Camp, another film that uh, probably takes place at a summer camp. People probably get murdered. Just just a guess. Maybe. Yeah, right. Uh, until then, where can people find you? Other, oh, uh, Hold on. Until then, what is going on with you, Mr. White, over at your award-winning podcast, The Projection Booth? I haven't won any awards. You've won the award of my love. Oh. Wow. If that doesn't matter to you, then I don't know what to tell you. Well, we're we're doing a lot of sci-fi films this month and next month. uh, Look at you, not even restricted by a month. I know, right? It's just like, fuck time and space. I'll do whatever I want. This man's breaking all the rules. Yeah, exactly. 
So, yeah, I'm talking about Philip K. Dick adaptations like Total Recall and Minority Report. And we're going to be talking about uh, Belladonna of Sadness, a crazy Japanese anime film, which is not necessarily sci-fi. But then in July, we're hardcore sci-fi, a Mega Man, Annihilation with you, Mr. Stashu, mm, Crawl, Solaris. It's just going to be, oh, it's going to be so sci-fi. It's going to be crazy. If you do not, as a listener of the Culture Cast, listen to the episode of The Projection Booth on Annihilation, at least go back and listen to my podcast on Annihilation I did last year. No, I'm just kidding. But seriously, I cannot wait because in the last year between the podcasts, I have gotten a chance to read the book. So, And it yeah. is amazing. So That's right, Ghostbird. I wasn't going to call you the same fucking thing. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to call you the same thing. Uh, do you need me, Ghostbird? Do you no, need director. me, Ghostbird? Oh God, yeah, boy, I'm I'm super excited to talk Annihilation next. Yeah, look forward to it. Any other podcasts that you do? Uh, no, that's it. That's the only podcast I do. I'm not even on this podcast. You can find me when I'm not here or at the projection booth from time to time on a little podcast that Mike and I do called the Kolchak Tapes, where we talk about Kolchak the Night Stalker, and that is over at kolchaktapes.com. I'm also on another podcast called Chronicles from the Crypt, where I talk about Tales from the Crypt twice a month with the aforementioned Father Malone. You can find that over at chroniclesftc.com and add those two together and you get the little podcast the three of us do, called Dreams for Sale, where we talk about Dreams the Twilight Zone. Dreams for Sale. I hate, <laughs> I hate that shit so much. Uh, where we talk about Twilight Zone 1985, the first reboot of the show, and the best reboot of the show. And you can find that over at TwilightZone85.com. Big thanks to Mike White for joining me. Big thanks to Jess Byard for picking the films for the named month that she picked, Jess Byard June. And uh, we'll catch you on the next Culture Casting.